this morning, um, I want to talk to you guys about a very spiritual exercise that I enjoy. So this message was inspired when I went on this very spiritual exercise. It's shopping. All right? Now, how many of you like to go shopping? (laughs) Okay. How many of you like to go shopping for clothes? Yeah? All right. I love going shopping for clothes. Now, I don't even need to go buy clothes. I actually enjoy just, you know, walking around and, and, and looking and getting inspiration and then coming back to buy it, right? But I also enjoy going with people and watching them go shop. I actually enjoy, you know, if you ask a few of the guys in here, like, we spent hours just me being their personal assistant, right? So they would do the whole thing. Like, guys, don't let them fool you. We like to shop too, all right? And so we would, they would be in the change room and they'd grab clothes and they'd be like, oh, this, wasn't, this, this doesn't fit. PY, can you go get me another size or, or can you get me some matching shoes or a tie that matches? And so we would do that. And so I was inspired because I recently went shopping and I, I bought some pants um, and I had, so if you're like me and you're, like clothing is made for a certain height. And so guys like me, clothing doesn't always fit properly. Does anyone have that problem? I'm not talking like, you know, you bought one size too big. Like even if you bought the right size, it just doesn't fit perfectly. And, you know, simply said, I'm, I'm too short, right? And so, <laughs> it comes down to that. I looked, for guys, the pants, the, the shortest you can get before you go to, like, Baby Gap is, <laughs> is a 30-inch inseam. And even for me, that's too long. And so, every single time when I buy pants, I have to take it in to get shortened. And so this one time recently that I did that, I brought in about four pairs of pants to get shortened. And so I did it, and I came back a few days to pick it up, and she gave me the bill, and I looked at it. I was like, oh my goodness, that, that deal I just got on pants just went back up to regular price, right? It's not cheap to get your clothes altered. And so I, I, I've been doing that for most of my life. And this particular time, I said, Lord, wouldn't it be good if I could just find clothes that fit? If I could just pull some clothes off the rack and it would just fit. And I wouldn't have to do anything to it. And, and as I, was, I got into the car and as I began to drive home, this thought came to my mind. I fit you with clothes better than you can fit yourself with clothes. And I said, oh, I fit you with clothes better than you can fit yourself with clothes. And so I was excited because, and then I, you know, I rushed home, put my stuff down, and I began to, that night, I began to look into it. Like, 
I already know from the past, you know, like a little bit about God's clothing and how he clothes us, right? But I want to get a little bit deeper. And so this morning, I want to share that with you. Is that okay? All right. Um, that's not the right time. <laughs> okay. The scripture we're going to go into is Genesis. Genesis 3. This is called God the original fashion designer. All right? So, okay. There we go. Okay, so now most of you, if not all of you in here, um, either know or you've heard of the, the, this, the, the story about how man fell. Okay, so it says, um, let's go to verse, keep going. Keep going. One more time. One more time. Okay, there you go. So starting in verse 5, this is after, okay, so in the beginning, God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of anything in this garden except from this tree. Do not do it, for surely you will die. And so you have to remember up until this point in time, everything was perfect. Have you ever thought about what it would like, you know, think back, like, what a time Adam and Eve had, right? Everything was perfect. It was so perfect to the point where Adam and Eve were naked in front of each other, and they knew it, and there was no shame at all. Now, so it says, for God knows that when you eat of your fruit, it will, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the serpent speaking. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Remember what I said this morning? Just as this is how sin came into this world. It came in through disobedience, but the act was eating. And she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse 7, then, so this is the part where I want to talk about this morning. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. In the King James says they made themselves an apron to cover their, their nakedness, okay? We'll get back to that in a sec. Verse 8. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, said to them, Where are you? Adam and Eve, where are you? And they said... I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. We're going to get back to that, too. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the fruit of of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And then we go, next one. And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. 
I, I mean, we, we, we've been working all summer with kids, and the one thing about a children's mentality is always to blame someone else. If you get two kids running around, you gotta kind of calm them down, put them in a timeout, like we almost do this on a daily basis. They're just running around and jumping and we just wanna calm them down. We bring them, they bring them to PY. I say, hey guys, what's up? He did it. <laughs> That's the first thing they say. It's like, it was him. <laughs> so the verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And you see, she begins to blame. Okay, so after the Lord had given them the rebuke, right? He, this is what he did. Then the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And so we're going to talk about two things here, okay? Today, one is Adam and Eve clothing themselves, and the second one is God coming to clothe them. Quite different, okay? Now, so a few things I learned from this, okay? If and when you have a life-changing experience, as Adam and Eve had, would you say this was a life-changing experience? You may need to be fitted for new clothes, Okay, now that might sound, well, that's very superficial on the surface. Well, it is, right? For example, let's say some of you are getting married. Would you say that's a life-changing event? And you will ask any bride and groom that looking for clothes is one of the most exciting times about getting married. Or like that whole process of uh, of the wedding day, right, is going with your, your friends and your family and, and walking into a store and just trying on a hundred different dresses. And, and the guys will be like, well, you go and do that by yourself. <laughs> a hundred different dresses. And, and I'll be next door at Starbucks. But for the guys, they need to go and try on new clothes too. When I got, before I worked here, I, I landed a job with a, a media company and it's really interesting because, you know, through, through coming to this church for the, the longest time and through knowing Pastor Paul for a long time, like, Pastor Paul always, like, dresses well. And even, especially in the, the, uh, the early days, he, you know, he had that corporate background. So he really, like, came to church every Sunday with, like, expensive-looking suits. And so when we were kids, I was looking at him, I said, like, that was expensive. How, how, how can I do that, right? But slowly over the time, you know, as, as he was mentoring me, it kind of caught on, right? And so I learned to dress better going to church, going to interviews and things like that. And I remember back in 2009 before I started working here, I was going to an interview for a media company. And I walked in dressed to the nines. I had a nice suit on, a matching tie, nice uh, 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 shoes, and, you know, back then the style wasn't slim or skinny fit, but it, it still looked good, and I felt really empowered. I felt really good. And I walked into the interview, and two people came and interviewed me. It was the person who would be my immediate boss and the person who was his immediate boss. So the older guy, he came dressed like, um, like a Gap commercial, right? He had khaki pants on and checkered shirt like that and, you know, business casual. 
my immediate boss had the, a mohawk. It was colored, and he looked like a rooster. And he had a cut-off t-shirt, like a muscle t-shirt. He was in jean, short jean shorts, and he had flip-flops on. And I wasn't worried about them. I was worried about myself, because I'm trying to land a job. And I'm like, you did not do enough research about this company, obviously, because I came dressed how I thought I would impress them, right? I was fitted for a, a life-changing moment. And they obviously didn't see it as that, and they came dressed as they normally would. I got the job, and it was funny because when I did get the job, I remember my boss telling me, I remember the first day when you came in to interview me. He said, when, when you left, my boss, the other guy in the room, scolded me. <laughs> I was like, oops. He said, you need to dress like that coming to work. I was like, hallelujah. Life-changing moment. Maybe... Maybe you're, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're getting ready for some promotion in your life. And you're going to a different field. Maybe you've just finished school. You know, students, most of the students I knew going in university would go in sweatpants and sweatshirt, right? Like you would literally roll out of bed and go to class. That might not cut it when you land your first job, in, in, in the industry that you want to go to, right? And so you're going to be in need to fit it for clothes. And so that's what happened here with Adam and Eve. They had a life-changing moment. And then they, they needed new clothes, right? But, so I'm going to get back to that in one moment, okay? The second thing that I, I've seen in this is when you and I disobey God, and this is what happened here, it exposes us. When you decide to disobey God's command, it leaves you exposed. Now, exposure comes in two ways. There's the, the good exposure. I mean, you know, if you believe that no press is bad press, everything is good exposure, right? So it's like you could, in, especially in this generation, people do all sorts of silly things, and they put it on social media to get exposure, to bring attention to themselves. Good or bad, they just want to bring attention to themselves. But the exposure that I'm talking about isn't that one. The exposure that I'm talking about is the one that leaves you in danger, leaves you with higher risk, leaves you naked. Maybe not on the outside, but definitely on the inside. And so when you make a, a choice, when you say, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to go my own way, it leaves you exposed. And the interesting thing is, whether you're a believer or not, many of us think that, you know, when we disobey God, it's got to be like the biggest thing ever, right? It's got to be like, you know, God told me to marry this person, and instead I went and married this person. Or God told me to, you know, go to church and I decided to stay home, right? Like really big things. It could be even small things. Exposure is exposure. And so when you and I choose to disobey God, as Adam and Eve did here, they left exposed. 
the, the condition that they were in before was one where they were, see, nakedness was not the issue. They were naked before each other, and they were okay with that. But when we disobey God, something happens. Something happens, and here's part of how exposure works, because when you are left exposed, what does that do? It leaves room for the enemy to come in and begin to do to have a field day with you, okay? I don't want to, like, come here and speak fear into you this morning. That's not what I'm trying to do, but, but this is how it happens because you could say, well, you know what, Lord? I'm going to go and do this when you've told me to do that. The enemy comes in just like he did with Adam and Eve and begins to chirp in your head. Or you go ahead and you do something, and then this is what happened to Adam and Eve. The guilt sinks in. And I know guilt doesn't come from our Heavenly Father. Guilt doesn't come from God. Guilt comes straight from the enemy. And so when you're exposed, it makes it really easy for the enemy to say, let's pack our bags, we're going on a guilt trip. And that's what happens here, okay? But check this out. Check what happens next. When you know that you're exposed... When you know that something has been brought to light and, and you're, not, you're not right with God in your heart, you and I, we begin to do things to try to cover ourselves up. And I don't mean like, you know, Hollywood scandal trying to cover that up, but I mean like you, we begin to do things that try to make God look at us as if nothing happened. So look back here at, I believe it's verse 7, right? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves clothes. Have you ever seen a fig leaf? (laughs) It's not the most dependable material that you could make clothes out of. Let's put it that way. And like all leaves, they wither and dry. And I mean, like, I actually went and Googled what a fig leaf would look like. Do you know how much leaves you would have to put together? Like, I mean, for goodness, if you're going to ever make clothes out of yourself with, for, for yourselves out of leaves, use like a palm leaf. <laughs> use like the biggest leaf you can find, and that's less work, right? But that's the first thing. But check this out. This is what we call self-righteousness. It's when you and I begin to try to work, to do something, to get involved, that, that in our minds, in our, in we're thinking what I'm doing here is going to change God's view about me. It's going to make him look favorably upon me. It's going to make him... Not, it's going to make him look past what I just did. This, like when I was studying this, it, it came, that word came to my head, self-righteousness. And Adam and Eve didn't even, see when Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees, they knew they were, like he knew they were being self-righteous and because and, he always says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were self-righteous for all sorts of religious reasons. 
But here, Adam and Eve committed an act of self-righteousness, not because they were trying to be holier than someone else. I mean, there was no one else. (laughs) But they were trying to be back in God's good graces. They were trying to cover themselves in, in, in God's eyes, right? Whenever we sin, and sin is just falling short of the mark that God has set for us. Whenever we sin, there is a part of us that is always, always trying to make right with God. And I'm going to get to the good part after this, okay? When I was younger and I was going to church, I always thought that, okay, well, Saturday night, like, I wasn't a party animal. I didn't, like, go and do all the things that you guys think would, you know. But it was, remember I said it was always the small things. It was always the night before I yelled at my brothers or screamed at my mother. Like, you know, teenage angst. Or it was, um, nope, there was no internet back then, so I didn't check anything on the internet. <laughs> so there was no internet, but there was always like, hey, you were at the mall and you were checking out girls. Or you were, um, you were cussing a lot with your buddies. And, just, and then going to church the next day, here's, this was my act of self-righteousness, okay? I tried to look for a corner of the sanctuary where it was dark and sit there so that the pastor or whoever was speaking couldn't see me. That's not you guys, okay? (laughs) But that's what I did. I thought, okay, if they didn't see me, at least I was still in church. Like, foolish, right? I was thinking, well, you know, God might not be able to see me back in this little dark corner here. But but yet, he would know I'm in church. And And I would feel okay about that. I would feel like, okay, well, I did my thing. I went to church today. I spent my two hours with God today. Like, I'm good now. But even those small acts, or, or, you know, maybe, that's why when we're taking offering and tithes, I said, don't be forced to give. Come free, uh, free will, right? Because I would, like, throw money in into the, uh, the plates when I was younger, because I thought by giving money to the church, it would absolve me from my sins. Or I would suck up to the pastor, as if the pastor was God, right? I would, I, I would like talk to the pastor, I'd be like, hey, you know, like let's be buddies and let's connect. And, and if he was happy with me, I thought all was good in my life with God. Because my focus was not, not on him, but on, on, on what I've done wrong and how to make it right. And all this time, they would be preaching about, well, Jesus forgives you, Jesus forgives you, Jesus forgives you, Jesus. But you're a sinful man, but you're a sinful man. You need to go do this. You need to go this. And then Jesus forgives you, Jesus forgives you. And after a while, I was, even as an 18-year-old, I wasn't the smartest cookie, but I was like, what is going on here? This does not match up. Does Jesus forgive me, or do I need to go and do something about it? Do I need to continue to sit in the front row of the church? Do I need to come dress up to church? 
Do I need to show up for a Wednesday night Bible study, Friday night youth group, Saturday morning extra youth group? Because we couldn't sleep over, right? So we just continued the party bright and early the next morning. <laughs> That's a good idea, right? And that was a really mixed message. And so because that was such a mixed message for me, I would actually continue to try to work out my own righteousness. Now, I didn't actually know what the word righteousness meant. I just knew it was a big spiritual word that the spiritual people in the church use. So I didn't even know what it meant, but I meant it had I, I knew it had to do something with being right. And so I want to be right. I definitely don't want to be wrong. And so I would do things like these to try to work out my own righteousness. And then, if we skip all the way, what was it? Verse 20 or 21? God comes along in his grace, in his love, and he looks at what you've done to try to cover yourself. And he's, now it doesn't say here, but what you can do for yourself, God will always be able to do better. What you can do for yourself, God will always be able to do better. And even in your most self-righteous act, God has made you righteous already. Not because of your actual act, right? And so in this moment, I, I, I've read through this so many times and it didn't really click in, but in this moment, it was, well, why did God come here and they had clothes on, they clothed themselves with fig leaves. Okay, maybe God said, oh, okay, this isn't very practical. It's fig leaves. It's going to dry out, wither away. You're going to be naked again. It's not very durable. It's going to break. You know, how are you going to go hunting? Or now, now you're going to have to go tend in the garden even more. It's not very practical, right? But God here was clothing them. And it is very symbolic of what was to come. The righteousness of God that I, I want to talk about uh, to finish this up, is that the Bible says, the Bible says that you and I are clothed with his righteousness. Okay? And this is what I want to leave you guys with. Is that if you ever have a moment in your life where you feel that I'm not good enough, that I need to do something more to earn God's love, to earn God's forgiveness, to earn God's um, um, grace and you and, and maybe something trickles up and begins to surface where you're like oh I'm going to start doing this I'm going to start doing that please remember this that God clothes you with righteousness already the Bible actually says he clothes you with a robe of righteousness you like robes you like garments? Have you ever put on a robe before? I'm not really a robe person, but I remember when we went like to hotels, right? Like, if you go to a fancy hotel, they got some fancy robes. And I mean, these days they make it so that you can't walk home with them. <laughs> but they got some fancy robes. And I thought about that. Have you ever looked at how in, in the old, not maybe not today, but in the old, old days, they put a robe around the king? 
they put, I don't know if it's called robe, but even queens were dressed very well. And if you get that picture of you and I are royalty, just think about that for a sec. The Bible says that you and I are royalty. We're a royal nation. If you think about that for a sec, what is the kind of clothes that royalty wears? Now, this isn't to say that your clothing is not good enough. But if you ever think that you're not good enough, remember that he clothes you with a robe of righteousness. And that robe is not some thing you get at the dollar store. I know there's even like a, a, a thinking along the church that I can't have anything of value because God wants me to be humble. Can I please break that for you this morning and say that because of him, because of his righteousness, you are in right standing with God. So you don't need to try to have some false humility. You don't need to have false humility. You are actually okay because of the work that he did on the cross to go out there as we leave here today thinking, I am in right standing with God. I am good in the eyes of God. I, I grew up in church where everyone actually was very afraid of God. And it wasn't the, the rever, reverential type of fear. It wasn't the, the, you know, this is God. Like, whoa, this is God. It was, don't hurt me. Don't, don't, don't send lightning and thunder down on me, or lightning. Right? And so, when you are clothed with righteousness, you've actually, the Bible says in, in, in Galatians that you have put on Christ. You have put on Christ, okay? Now, this morning, when we went, when we went through communion, I just want to, um, and, 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 like, this, when I was studying this, this was like, it just, it was for me, it was amazing. I, I want to share this part with you, okay? You know that we, we talk about the blood of Jesus this morning, and the blood of Jesus is given to for a new covenant. And so during the days of the Old Testament, blood was used for what? To atone, right? And if you study that word atone or atonement, that word means to cover. And so the, in the, the law of, of Moses, and back in the days of uh, the Old Testament, they would use blood of an animal to cover the sins. And how they did it was once a year, the high priest would gather the people of Israel and sprinkle the blood on them. And it would cover now, the problem with that is covering is not a permanent solution. And so even to this day, they have the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. They would go through that process each and every year to have your sins forgiven. Now, check this out. We had a sofa before we moved. We had a sofa. And I'm going to illustrate to you like this, and hopefully it will help you get a picture of what's going on here. We had a sofa, and, through, and the sofa was like a tan, or it was a beige-white color, right? 
And if you've ever been to our home when we lived in the condo, you know, you will know that the law of Annie says you, thou shalt not eat on the sofa. And yet many of you broke that law. <laughs> and so over the years, food stains accumulated on the sofa. Like drink, you spill a drink or, you know, you're eating a sloppy Joe burger and it just, like one time that actually happened, not burger, a hot dog. <laughs> I looked at it, it was like in slow motion. Like it just was falling and it was like the movies, like, no. <laughs> and so what, do you, what, do, what would you naturally do? You try to clean it, right? But these days when you buy material, like stains don't come off really easily. And, and the funny part is we went back to the manufacturer of the sofa because it was, it was a, a higher-end sofa. And we went back to the manufacturer and we said, this happened, do you have any kind of solvent that would get this off? He's like, oh yeah, here, here you go, try this, right? And we took it home and we did it. We spent hours, hours trying to clean it up. Not even a bit of it was removed, Pastor Marlies, not even a small bit of it. And we went back to them and we said, well, you sold me this for 50 bucks. It didn't work. And they said, well, how long have you had your sofa for? Five years? Oh, that's why. This only works like on the first year of the material, right? <laughs> Maybe you should have told me that <laughs> when we bought it, right? And so, what do you do when you cannot remove the stain off of something that you prize? You have a prized possession. What do you do? Pardon? Okay, you, you could replace it. More... <laughs> So in this case, what, and, and this, I mean, like, I couldn't think of this. And so my wife, being the brilliant home decor person she is, she said, okay, we got to go to HomeSense and buy some throw covers or whatever they're called, right? Blankets, throws, right? Right? And we'll cover it. Um, in my head, I'm thinking, like, how are you going to do that? You're going to, like, unfold the blanket and just, and she's like, no, we're just going to fold it up and strategically cover the big stains, right? And then we'll get some pillows and we'll put it there. And, and I'm a practical guy, so I'm thinking, this sofa has so many pillows on it, you can't actually sit on it, the sofa. <laughs> and then if you remove the pillows to sit, they're going to see the stains. <laughs> it didn't make sense. But obedient husband, honey, go for it. And so she did. But if you ever talk to her, you will, she will begin to tell you that in the back of her head, in her mind, she always knew the stains were still there. She always knew. And any time we had visitors come, it was almost a source of shame. She would be like, quickly, let's cover the sofa. People are coming. We can't let them see this, right? And that's like us. And so your stains, the, the atonement just covers it so that God can't see it. But it's still there. And that's why you will never see in the New Testament the word atonement used in the same way. Because atonement was when, when once Jesus fulfilled the law, there was no need for covering. 
So I'm going to say something controversial, and if it upsets you, go talk to Pastor Marlies. <laughs> Jesus' blood does not cover you. Your sins, it does not cover your sins. And I know in church we actually sing songs about Jesus' blood covering our sins. And I know I've read devotionals about Jesus' blood covering sins. And I get it. It's a euphemism. I get people are using that phrase to represent the finished work that Jesus did on the cross and his blood spilled, right? But if you just stop at that part where Jesus' blood covers you actually miss out on what Jesus' blood really does. You miss out on the part where Jesus' blood actually doesn't, it's not like a throw blanket where it covers all our, our, our stains. His blood is the ultimate stain remover. It is a stain remover. And it is important to know this because if you are thinking, if you walk in, this really connects with the righteousness of God. Because if you have this understanding that Jesus' blood can only cover you, in your mindset, you're, you're going to always think that it's not good enough. I'm going to have to do something to continue to have that covering. I'm going to have to work. I'm going to have to go to church and, and sit and be nice and be pleasant and give money and pray five times a day and read my Bibles twice a night and everything in the name of thinking that it would make you right with God. But if you can get in your head and then in your heart, especially in your heart, to know that Jesus' blood does more than covering our sins, our our. our, our our blemishes, but it actually removes them as if it was never there. And when you understand that and when you get that in your heart, you actually can walk around knowing that you are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. And when you know you're the righteousness of God, you don't walk around like, oh, Eeyore, you know, Winnie the Pooh movie just came out, right? Like, Eeyore, like, I'm not good enough. Like, how are you? Ho-hum. How are you? Alive and well in Christ. But you can stand up and say, man, I am good. You can stand up and say, yeah, maybe not every circumstance in my life is aligned right now, but God is working to align them. And you know what? Yeah, I don't have to do a thing to cause God to align them. I don't have to try to work it out on my own. I don't need to sow fig leaves for myself, so to speak. Because, Vivian, God has clothed you with righteousness. He actually has put, or, or you have put him on the moment you said, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord, Savior. You have put on See, that's a life-changing moment, right? You have put on a new attire. And that new attire is named Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. So the next time you do go shopping, feel free to go this afternoon, right? Hey, especially on long weekends, they have good deals. Because they try to keep you in here to go shopping, then go out to the cottage or go fishing or stuff like that, right? So, <laughs> but 
when you do, just remember, whatever you're doing this afternoon, this weekend, I pray, Lord, that you guys would remember that I am the righteousness of God. Not because of anything that I can do or anything that I have ever done or anything that I will ever do. But simply because I have put my faith in you. You went to the work, you went to the cross and you finished the work. The Bible says, I'll close with this. The Bible says, just as one man's disobedience brought sin and death into this world, so too does one man's obedience save each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Amen.